the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When I saw that I was assigned to preach for the feast today, I remembered that I had preached on this day a few years ago. And because we keep a monastery blog of the audio and text of our sermons the last 10 years or so, I searched and found that the previous sermon was in 2017. Now, for whatever reason, after I preach, I largely forget about what I've said (laughs) and, and move on to the next one. So as if I was reading something for the first time, I found the text from five years ago. And perhaps one of the reasons I tend to forget my sermons is that preaching for me is very much capturing an unrepeatable moment in time. The occasion and my journey into it will never meet again exactly like this. In the older sermon, I referenced a piece of art, the Peace Fountain, a sculpture next to the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. The depiction of St. Michael, the archangel at the center of that fountain, as in much other art and iconography, has St. Michael holding a sword or spear and overwhelming the dragon, Satan, as described in the reading from the Revelation to John. And so in, in the sermon, I simply ask, what does this mean? An angel waging war against the dragon, Satan. I had been studying the topic of the Bible and violence for some time at that point, and took that opportunity to summarize some of what I had been learning over the last few years. The essence of what I said was that the triumph of justice, of God's justice over sin and evil, the coming of God's realm of peace, wrenches the very fabric of the cosmos, changes the character of life on earth, which after this war is now joined with heaven. You can go read the rest if you want to on the blog. Today I meet the feast through an encounter with a quite different rendering of St. Michael. The image before us here is from a church in Spain. The date is unknown and it hangs in my office here in the monastery. No sword or spear or war or violence here. No obvious symbolism that this is St. Michael, other than art.com's word for it. It visualizes an authentic theology of angels, present yet mysterious, benevolent but slightly intimidating, human-like in the way that we imagine them, while at the same time seeming to step into our material world from some foreign place, whether the glass around the face has darkened with age and dirt, or whether the artist created it that way on purpose, the contrast of the ominous and impenetrable surrounding with a faith of such peace and bliss endlessly fascinates me. Just as with the Peace Fountain sculpture, we can ask, what does this mean? 
to approach an answer to that question, it may be helpful to revisit a bit of theology of creation itself. Theologians often begin with the question, why did God create at all? Was God lonely? Did God want a world of submissive, subservient beings to inflate God's ego? No, God's nature is to give, to share glory, to reveal God's self to creation, to be revealed in goodness, truth, and beauty. The creation is the gift and sign of God's being as limitless generosity, abundance, and blessing to all creatures. God did not create to control or dominate, but to delight. God delights in and with us as we enjoy the good things of creation. God creates humans because God can, and it makes God happy. God enjoys us. God created angels to share in the beauty of all that God has made. So that angels will enjoy being angels, just as we enjoy being human. So in some way, we share a similar and complementary vocation with the angels. To so inhabit the meaning and work of our place in the cosmic order, that God's fullest intent and purpose for making us will be made known in us and then directed back to our Creator as praise and glory. So the existence and appearance of angels gives us a clue about what the universe is for and the character of the God who made it. The assigned readings for today cast angels in the roles of sign-bearers of God's communion between heaven and earth. The way they witness is by moving, moving up and down. The Genesis reading of Jacob's ladder, his ladder dream, has angels ascending and descending on it. In the Gospel reading, our Lord echoes the language of Jacob's dream account when he tells Nathanael that you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In the three-tiered universe of the Bible, the spiritual realm was up in the sky above. And the realm of evil death, sometimes called the abyss or sea, was down. So the significance of the angels ascending and descending becomes a way of describing a connection between the unseen spiritual above and the tangible earthly of our physical world. Most ancient religions would have created a process of purification or training or knowledge to attain by effort a glimpse of heaven. Jacob's dream and Nathaniel's prophecy are not earned by them by their goodness. They're not possessed by human power, discerned by human understanding. They come as pure and simple mystery to Jacob and Nathaniel. Rather, the, the dream and the prophecy are God's gift, bestowed freely for God's glory and honor into and through human witnesses who share in the heavenly vision 
of a world beyond what we can see and touch and contain. It's not a stretch to say that this ascending and descending are happening everywhere, all the time, unseen by our physical eyes. The angels appear in a particular time and place, not so that we will seek to contain that time and place, but like all sacred places and acts, to point beyond themselves to a God who is happy to be everywhere all the time. The God who desires to be known as mystery sends messengers to unveil the invitation to covenant with this God. The reading from Revelation adds an interesting twist to this communion between heaven and earth. The angels who war against heaven are thrown down to earth, but do not ascend again. Something tragic has been lost in their act of rebellion. They now become beings who are, who are trapped in their own rebellion against God and now harm the creation that previously was the source of their delight. It seems even the heavenly beings have a degree of freedom to worship or not. Finally, this feast is a reminder that liturgy itself invites us into two main responses. First, we hear the, and enact the prophetic call to amend our ways and live in reconciliation and peace with our brothers and sisters. Imperatives of Scripture give content to our desire to love God and neighbor faithfully. The second and equally important task is less about doing and more about being. Today is such a day. Our task today is to pause and look and listen, to be awed, to wonder and praise at the lavish blessing and beauty of being gifted to taste even now, to glimpse even now the eternal gladness of the glory of God with the angels in heaven. Amen.